I looked at this, I prayed about this, I wrestled with this. And uh, there's no way to avoid this being drinking at the fire hydrant. Um, there, <laughs> I'd love to give you just a sweet stream, uh, but we're, we're going to have to look at uh, or take in the fire hydrant this morning because as we come to the issue of judging our consciences, of looking at other people's consciences as dealing with the matters of stumbling blocks, there are certain biblical principles you must know. I mean, you must know them. You should memorize them. You have the outline. Memorize them and think them as you come to this subject. It's vital. Uh, I, you don't hear me say that very often, but it's crucial here. There are steps. There's our ways. Just like in church discipline, Christ gave us steps. We are to follow those steps. There are steps likewise as we look at other passages in Scripture. There are many things that Paul says where he's drawing from other passages of Scripture and he is reflecting things that the Lord Jesus Christ has taught as well as others. So my point is that uh, we'll be moving over some of these aspects fairly quickly. You're not going to remember all of them when this is over, but I encourage you to take the outline and think through the, 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 the pattern set down here before us. It will do you good. <clears throat> that being said, we're at Romans 14. As I said, we're going to read verses 9 through 13 again. Let's stand together one more time. I do uh, recommend, I haven't said this in a few weeks, I do recommend that you read Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 8 through 10 repeatedly while we stay on this subject. It is vital that the truths contained therein really linger in our hearts because we all deal with somebody putting stumbling blocks before us or we put stumbling blocks before others very often, and I would say most of the time, completely unaware that that's what we're doing. We need to be thinking plainly about the scriptures and how they deal with this subject. That being said, Romans 14, beginning in verse 9, brethren, this is God's lovely, holy, and infallible word. For to this end, Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and living. But why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, for it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, 
every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Let us not, therefore, judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. Amen. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. And now let's unite our hearts in prayer. Hallelujah. We praise Jehovah. Oh, my soul, Jehovah praise. I thank thee, O righteous God, O great creator, O sovereign redeemer. I pray that we might know thy blessing upon our gathering here this morning. Here is thy church, Lord. And across this planet and at various times, thy people are meeting. The Spirit of God moves within their hearts. They open their mouths to sing thy praise, to utter thy praise, to magnify thee in prayer, to glorify and worship thee by hearing Thy inspired and infallible word. O Lord, may we complete what that's for by taking what we hear and living it. Thy word is truth. Lord Jesus, thou didst pray for us. Thou, as our great high priest, didst pray. Father, sanctify them. By thy truth, thy word is truth. Father, if we do not have thy word stamped upon our hearts, branded upon our souls, we will obey our flesh. Help us, O God. Help us to be a people that live in the light and the love of Christ Jesus. Let us Magnify our crucified and resurrected Savior. Oh, Father, there are thy children here gathered this morning to praise and adore thee and to worship thee. And I pray that we have done so thus far. Let us continue that as we hear thy word. Lord, I pray for those that are wrestling, that are struggling hard against sin. Grant them much grace encourage their hearts, build them up in the faith, turn their eyes to thy right hand, O Father, that they may by the eye of faith see the risen Christ interceding for them every moment of the day. O God, fill them with joy at the thought of Christ paying the penalty for their sins and applying it to them day by day. O God, as our outward man is perishing, may thy spirit make the inner man growing, 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 maturing. O help us, Lord. Help us as new creatures to magnify thee. Lord, for every regenerate soul here, 
Thy word, thy law has been stamped in our hearts. Grant us the power of the Spirit to walk in it. Oh God, we plead for thy presence. Moses pleaded for it. David pleaded for it. Thy people throughout the ages have said, Oh God, be with us. Oh God, go with us. Please, my Father, fill us with the joy of thy presence. Fill us with the sobriety of thy presence. But make thyself known by the power of thy word and spirit. Help this weak and flimsy vessel to preach thy word this morning for thy glory and for the good of thy people. The good of thy people. Father, for the lost ones here, may their hearts, in spite of this subject, may their hearts be drawn to see their need of Jesus Christ, the Savior. Lord, affirm in their souls that his promise is true and that they may rest their immortal souls upon it this very day. Oh God, may the lost repent and believe on the crucified and resurrected Savior. Now, oh God, I say again, this is thy temple. We are the living stones. This is the Spirit's address. Fill us. Fill us with thy Spirit. Help us not to grieve nor to quench thy Spirit, but help us to receive thy word by thy mighty power. Forgive us when we drift. Forgive us, O Lord, when we're not listening. For thee, for thy voice, let not my voice distract a soul from thine. And now, O God, help our weak endeavor, these dull souls to rapture raise. Thou must light the flame, or never shall our Lord, our love, be warmed to praise. Make that a, a great and holy reality to us this very day. And we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ, wrote a letter to the believers at Rome. The Jews and Gentiles of the congregation were divided over food laws, wine, and religious days. The Jewish believers were weak in the faith. They did not understand their gospel liberty. Therefore, they judged the Gentile believers over their disagreements. And the stronger Gentile believers looked down on the judging Jewish believers. In verse 13, Paul summarizes this portion of chapter 14. Let us not, therefore, judge one another anymore. Now, this is not judgment in a general sense. For those of you who have not been with us, this chapter and especially verses like this are regularly misused, not only by the lost, 
but by people who professed to know the Lord. Paul is talking about conscience matters. Stop judging each other in conscience controversies. There are things when we have to judge. There could be no such thing as church discipline if we did not judge one's act to be outside the pale of obedience to Christ. Christ said, judge righteous judgment. So, Paul goes on to say, if there's something you want to judge, judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. Falling there, of course, means falling into sin. So, in conscience controversies, Paul says, stop judging and do not stumble a weak believer. By this, the Holy Spirit of God focuses our minds again on the sobering issue of stumbling blocks. So the title of our message is The Dreadful Sin. The dreadful sin. There aren't any good ones. But some clearly are more foul, more corrupting, more wretched in the eyes of God. This is one of them. Stumbling a believer is a dreadful sin. So the dreadful sin of stumbling a believer, this is part 11. May our loving and gracious Heavenly Father bless us with His presence as we have prayed. Bless us with His Son. Bless us with His Spirit. And bless us with His Word. May our hearts rise up in praise and adoration. So let's begin with a positive note. How may we avoid stumbling others? This is generally something I would have put later in this series of messages. But I'm wanting us this morning to think carefully about how we avoid stumbling another believer so that as we uh, start uh, illustrating these things, uh, we have some solid ground about how we should be measuring whether or not someone is stumbling or whether we have stumbled someone or someone has stumbled us. So we start with a positive note. That doesn't mean I'm going to become horrifically negative. It does mean that we will have some very serious things to ponder as we consider not causing God's people to stumble. Personal responsibilities. So how may we avoid stumbling others? Please consider the following things. Meditate on them. First, to avoid stumbling other believers, remember what a stumbling block is. A stumbling block is something said or done, something said or done 
in a way that leads someone else to sin or hinders their spiritual life. That's a big category. It's something said or done in a way. Those are important little words. Said or done in a way that leads someone else to sin or hinders their spiritual life. The reason those three words in a way are in there is because, as we have said before and as we will repeat in this message, you can do something that you think is good. You're convinced that you're doing something good when, in fact, you're laying a stumbling block before one of your brothers or sisters. A stumbling block is not always a wicked deed or word. When we look at Christ's temptation, Satan came to him and said, you've got the power, make these stones bread. Well, Christ had been fasting. What's wrong with saying, go ahead and eat? He didn't say commit adultery, become an idolater, right? But he went right to his weakness. He had been fasting. His body was crying out. Jesus was a real human. But he's obviously laying a stumbling block to seduce Christ to sin. Oh, you're not going to fall for that? Well, let's go up to the the top of the temple. Let's look out from the pinnacle. Now, go ahead and throw yourself down because you know what the Bible says, don't you? You know what the Bible says, don't you? Throw yourself down. The angels will catch you. That's the truth. But it was a stumbling block. It was set before Christ for the purpose of getting him to sin. Now, Christ could not sin. He would not have fallen and did not fall for these things. But look at how Satan does it. If you don't think he's used the word in your life to make wrong decisions you probably are in great delusion. Just pulling a verse out of context and saying, I'm going to do this because you need to make sure that's what that word is telling you. So a stumbling block is not always a wicked deed. It's not always a wicked word. In the last temptation that the that Satan gave Christ in the wilderness, he said, all right, look. Look at all these great nations and cities. You see all that? I'll give it to you if you'll bow down and worship me. Now there, he played his hand. Jesus knew the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Jesus knew the second commandment. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven and earth. We could go through all of that, but the point is, occasionally, Satan comes on bluntly and powerfully. Here, do this. This is your chance. And there's a reward with it. You'll have pleasure. 
but Jesus didn't bow to it. But all three of those temptations, the subtle ones and the obvious ones, were stumbling blocks set before the Lord Jesus. The thing is, very often, we're unaware when a stumbling block is being set before us. And even more unaware is the times we're setting stumbling blocks before others. No true Christian could sit and plan and purpose to make other Christians fall into sin. It wouldn't be that avenue, but they can take views, they can take controversial issues, they can take conscience controversies, they can even take the Word of God and use them in a wrong way that distracts or even misleads one of God's children. And very often not when they're even planning to do that. Circumstances tell us whether one believer has stumbled another. Very often the only way to tell whether we're really dealing with a stumbling block is to understand the circumcisions, uh, the circumstances. <laughs> we all understand circumcision, but that's not the subject. All right, <clears throat> painful as it may be. What we need to recognize is that circumstances always figure into stumbling blocks. Here's what I mean by circumstances. <clears throat> circumstances tell us whether one believer has stumbled the other. Who did it? What did they say or do? Who did it? You might be able to say something in jest that would not offend someone. I might say it in jest and completely crush somebody. And we might say exactly the same thing. But who said it? And then why did they say it? Why did that person say it or do it? What did he do? When did he do it? There may be something that I could say in my living room to my wife that if I said in the congregation, some would take radical offense. Where did you do it? When? Where? So stop and think about these things. Who? What? When? Why? And where? You can throw one more in just for good measure. How? Someone can say something that in and of itself is not offensive, but they can say it in a way that cuts you like a knife or runs through you just like a chainsaw. It's true. It's true. It may be words that spoken in the right way and in the right context would not trouble someone. Now, Let's get real, real, real for a minute. Husbands and wives, you know this, right? You don't really need a commentary. There's certain things that you can say. It's when you said it, how you said it, why you said it, 
We all live with these principles, but very often when it comes to conscience controversies, we just want to win the argument. We want somebody on our team. We don't do this or we do do that. We always want people on our team. We never come into the church saying, (laughs) I'm bearer of heresies this morning. Please hang with me and listen to me. Right? You don't do that. But you can read something that you haven't proved. You can read something that you've just picked up in the Christian bookstore and you thought, you, oh, you like the cover. Or you liked some of the things that the person seemed to say on the radio a few weeks ago. And you read it and you go, oh, this is fantastic. And you spread it around everybody in the congregation and you poison them. Because the guy's a false teacher. That's a stumbling block. Doctrine matters. A stumbling block can be a right thing done the wrong way. At the wrong time. In the wrong place. I was standing in the midst of a group of mothers many years ago, I think almost no one here was here at that time, very few, if any, and a group of mothers were talking, and I was asked a question, and I was trying to answer the question. One of the children came up and intruded. I know that probably hasn't happened to you, but it was there the day I was talking to them. The mother wheeled about, turned on that child, and I mean ripped about four layers of skin off with her tongue. This is just like you. You always do this. Why did you? And I mean, she railed on this child. I was looking for a way to excuse myself because it was really ugly. Now, at home, under certain circumstances, That might be what you have to do. But in the presence of others, will you rip one of your children from top to bottom? You've stumbled them. Children, after a while, can feel injustice. We get that? And they can tell when, uh, wait a minute, (laughs) the punishment is not equal to the crime. Happens to to believers all the time. Where, when, how, why? All these things matter in a stumbling block. We must learn to discern stumbling blocks. And that's why you need to think about these questions. Who said it? Who did it? Why, when, where, how, etc.? Think in those terms because people are going to come to you and say, did you know? And that person that you've had just a little bit of anger toward or you have just a little mm, grudge or you've been a little suspicious of them, you believe anything anybody tells you and that is sinful. We get this? This is how Satan works. 
This is how the power of darkness rip families apart, rip friendships, rip churches apart. Did you know? Oh, you know, do you know what they said? Do you ever say, were you there when they said it? Do you? Do you ever start with the question, why are you telling me this about brother so-and-so? Why aren't you talking to him? No, we like to believe things about people, especially if our hearts are not right toward them. So we've got to learn to discern, ask questions. How do you know that? Well, um, uh, you know, somebody, somebody told me, and, and they're a reliable source. Are they? How do you know that? How do you know they're not angry with those people? How do you know that? See, we don't love each other's character. We don't love each other's reputations. And we live in an age of disappointment. One leader, one pastor, one well-known teacher falls after another in our day. But we've got to learn to discern. Secondly, to avoid stumbling other believers, apply to yourself three things that Jesus said. Remember what a stumbling block is and those important questions to ask. And then apply to yourself three things that Jesus said. Now, we, we can apply everything Jesus said to us in just about any, any circumstance. But I'm talking about dealing with stumbling Stumbling someone. Jesus commanded that ye love one another as I have loved you. Number two, Jesus commanded, therefore all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. Now I can tell you if every married couple and I and I begin with me and my precious wife if we all lived that as fully as we knew how there would be very little marriage counseling. The problem, what's wrong with my marriage? Somebody or both of you are disobeying Christ. It's that simple. It's that simple. There's never a marriage problem that isn't rooted in somebody's sin. And the Lord has told us how to deal with sin. That's another series. But Jesus, number three, warned. He gave us two commands. Love one another whatsoever you would. That men should do to you, do ye likewise, even so to them. And then Jesus warned, Whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Do you hear Jesus Christ? We've looked at that passage in some detail in a previous message. 
But the fact of the matter is, this, like the previous verse, in fact, all three of these, if all three of these were stamped on our hearts and we were thinking about those things before we engaged in controversy or before we set something before someone else, we might cut down on the stumbling blocks we cause. So, remember what a stumbling block is. Apply to yourself these three things, two commands and a clear warning. Thirdly, to avoid stumbling other believers, remember three questions. Three questions. These are easy. I did everything I could to bring them down and make them as simple as possible. I'm not accusing you of being simple. I'm talking about my overdue. We have already learned that in controversy, we must determine if we are dealing with primary doctrine, secondary doctrine, or a conscience controversy. If you are not thinking in those terms, I can tell you. You have been involved in arguments where very often you were sinning. How how is that? Because if you don't know the difference between a doctrine that's non-negotiable and a conscience controversy, you're going to mix them up. This is the biggest deal. I've got my little checklist for what a church ought to be, and and if they don't don't go by my checklist, well, they're out. Well, it's, it's okay to have a checklist. But what's it made up of? The Word of God or your preferences? The Word of God or your preferences? These are sobering things, aren't they? I mean, just to stand here and say them is just overwhelming. I know how feeble and sinful my flesh is. I know that I've violated almost everything I've said so far at one time or another. How about you? And if it's so, then we need to do some serious repenting. Very serious. So remember these three questions. One, is it a command? If something is a command in Scripture, you must do it. Not any options. God has said it. We must understand it, interpret it properly, and then apply it to our lives. You must do a command. Everybody here got that? I'm talking to me. As well as you. If God commands it, you don't have any options. Number two, is it lawful? Now, we mean biblically lawful, not necessarily lawful by our government. That's another discussion. If it's lawful, you can do it. All right? If it's a command, you must do it. If it's lawful, you can do it. There are things that are lawful that you may do 
that someone else as a believer may not do? Now, all three of these questions could be a sermon with lots of illustrations. But right now, all you have to know is this. Is it a command? You've got to do it. Is it lawful? You may do it. Do you understand the difference? Do I? <laughs> do, we, do we get this? And then lastly, is it a conscience controversy? Is it a conscience controversy? That's what's going on in Romans 14, and that's what they're talking about. Romans 14 is about a conscience controversy. It's not about the deity of Christ. It's not about the Trinity. It's not about whether there is heaven or hell. Those are all non-negotiables. It isn't about who is baptized. That is a secondary but important issue. It's secondary, but it's important. Just because something isn't the most important doesn't make it important. And thirdly, is it a conscience controversy? Is it a command? Is it, is it lawful? Is it a conscience controversy? If you can't distinguish them, it's just like what I said a few moments ago about primary, secondary, and uh, disputations, <laughs> conscience controversies. You're going to be confused, and you're going to argue like something is the most important thing in the world when it's actually your conscience. And while your conscience is your conscience... And while your conscience shouldn't be violated, your conscience and my conscience are not God. So we have to work through those things very carefully, very cautiously. So, <clears throat> one thing to remember about the conscience controversies, by the way, <clears throat> I said, uh, is, is it a command? We don't have to go through anything on that. Is it lawful? Well, we have one of those kind of issues. While this is a conscience controversy, it is also something having to do with is it lawful or not, right? Because the Gentiles are going, I can eat this, and the Jews are going, no, you can't. Why are the Jews doing that? Because the Old Testament law that they are still respecting in a particular way commands them, and their consciences are still under that thinking. Paul doesn't say, all right, Jews, snap out of it. You're in the new covenant now. He doesn't do that. He doesn't violate their conscience because he knows what their conscience is filled with. And so he doesn't just rip them open. He loves them. He says, well, you know, those of you that eat, that's lawful. Those of you that don't eat, that's lawful. Stop judging each other. And then finally, a conscience controversy. What do we need to remember about it? Is it a conscience controversy? Here's what Paul makes abundantly clear in Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 8 through 10. Very simply in one sentence, the strong must love the weaker brother and deny themselves. That's what the word of God is teaching here. 
The stronger brother doesn't win the argument. He's the one that denies himself for his weaker brother. That's precisely what Jesus did. The strong must love the weaker and deny themselves. Okay, now, the last thing that we need to consider under this to avoid stumbling series, to avoid stumbling other believers' love for Christ and his people must prevail in our hearts. Must. That's that's a four-letter word in the Bible that counts. Must. Love for Christ and his people must prevail. Paul said in verse 15, If thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. Don't miss it. He's saying, you have the liberty to eat what they don't have the liberty to eat. Their conscience won't permit it. He said, but if you eat it in their presence, you don't love them. You are not Walking in Christian love. Paul spoke directly to the strongest believers, not the weakest. He says, you have a responsibility to your weaker brethren. You have a love for them that should help them along the way, not push them down. In their gospel liberty, the strong... Listen carefully. I've, I've worked at trying, <laughs> trying to say this in a way that will connect. It's a very general statement, but it's a very important one <clears throat> in light of what Paul is saying. In their gospel liberty, the strong pursued the desires of their view. Okay? What were they doing? I eat meat. I've always eaten meat. I'm going to eat meat. I'm not a Jew. Those laws don't affect me. I'm going to eat meat. Right? So, the strong were pursuing the desires of their view. I can do this. I'm going to do this. Are you with me? This is crucial. This is crucial. So, but if that grieved the weaker believers, the strong were not walking in love. They were not walking in love. And Christ has called us to love one another as he loves us. I mean, is that not one of the most impossible commands you've ever read? I mean, be honest. How well do you understand the love of Christ? And how much of that are you lavishing on God's people, Jesus' blood-bought people? You need to answer that because we're all going to answer it in the day of judgment. I'm not coming to your house to find out how, you know, huggy and smoochy you are with anybody. But I am saying to you, you need to take what God has said here and think about this very carefully. Think. Don't just react. Well, I don't feel like... Throw that out the window. Your word should be, what does God say? Let me think according to what God is saying here. So, 
Christ has called us to that great love. It's an incredible love. It's overwhelming. To love God and to love his people lies at the heart of both testaments. But Paul then made an astounding exhortation after that. Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. That's almost a nonsensical sounding question if you sit and think about it. (laughs) Destroy him with your meat? What, What does that mean? Destroy? Notice he doesn't say, don't bother him with it. Don't irritate him with it. Don't just be an annoyance. Don't destroy him. It's like Paul. Coming on pretty heavy here, right? It's just a piece of meat. It's just a dead cow or a dead lamb or a a dead salmon. It's like, where are you getting off with this? But notice, he puts the atonement of Jesus Christ into that equation. Don't destroy one of Jesus' blood-bought people. But that doesn't even seem possible. Now, we don't have the time, we don't, to discuss in detail the words, destroy not him. But I will give you my best summary. Some believe that means that the stumbled believer loses his faith, loses his salvation, and later falls into hell. Nevertheless, passages such as Philippians 1.6 make that view unacceptable. Paul was confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. If as a believer you have ever sinned, you have found rest and comfort in that verse. That's so? Again, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 and 24. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y, entirely. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, I want that. Anybody here want that? I want that. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Glory to God. It doesn't say if you pull yourself up with your own bootstraps. If you have gotten into the latest conscience controversies and you've come out on the right side, you'll make it. It doesn't say that. It doesn't. It says, the Lord, the faithful Lord, the blessed Lord who loved us before the foundation of the world. He is faithful. He called you to himself and he is going to sanctify you. By the way, that's where a lot of your problems come from. What? The Lord loves to custom make our sanctifying providences. 
And he will bring all kinds of things that just don't seem to fit the picture. Hey, I'm not happy down here right now. This is not pleasant. The Lord says, oh, good. That's exactly where I want you. All right, now you've just shown me, even though you say that I'm sovereign, you've just shown me that you don't believe it. Doesn't take long for us to deny what we say we believe. But as long as we say we believe it, we think we're all right. No, God says, no, I want you living this. I'm going to sanctify you. And I'm going to send things along your way that won't be pleasant. And they won't be pretty. In fact, some of them are going to be downright ugly. I may send one of my messengers from hell to really trouble you for a while. Or your family. Or your work. Or your situation. But it's all right, as we've been hearing on Wednesdays from Pastor Clarence. We have a great shepherd. He's with us in the valley of the shadow of death and darkness, as well as on the mountaintop. And very often, it's down there in that valley where you're learning how to walk like a Christian. Big talk about the sovereignty of God until you're uncomfortable. And then very often, instead of saying, praise the Lord, he loves me. He sent me something into my life that's making me realize how miserable and how weak I am. Thank you, oh God. Thank you. I'm not anywhere near what I thought I was. Praise you that you love me enough to show me this. Now help me through the day. Help me to honor you through this day. Help me to bring glory to you. I can't do it. Grant me your spirit. Grant me your word. Oh, I was listening to my feelings all day yesterday. Look what it got me. Zero. Or worse, I got my way. Now, we want God's way. That's it. Now, as we come back to this then, the whole idea is that God does sanctify his people. Jesus himself said, I give unto them, his sheep, eternal life. Brother Victor beautifully preached on the Lord's, uh, on Wednesday. And they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. You hear that? Well, that's comfortable. That's, that's comfortable. <laughs> I like to wear that. Do you like to wear that? My Father which gave them me is greater than all. No one can pluck me out of his hand. I don't know if you know who Jimmy Swaggart is, but uh, with the theology that he held, he said, that's true, that's what Jesus said, but you can get yourself out of God's hand if you want to. I'm glad to know that he's a liar. Nobody can pluck us out of the Father's hand, neither can we say, well, I'm going to take the exit. If we take the exit, we've never been in the Father's hand. Oh, my brethren, no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. We all know the word able, right? In other words, nobody can do it. Nobody. No one's got the goods to do it. No one can take me out of my Father's grip. Not even, not even I. So the context seems to lead, as we look at those verses, and there are many others. But if we look at, look at those verses carefully, the context seems to lead us to this conclusion. The stumbling block to which Paul refers means causing another believer to violate his conscience. 
and that can ruin his walk and his testimony. For example, persuaded by the strong believer, the Jew abandons his conviction about the food and religious day laws. And here's, here's a scenario. Here's an illustration of what we're talking about. This one rises up from uh, the, the issue taking place, uh, discussed in Romans 14. All right, so the stronger believer, the, uh, the, the, most likely a Gentile, <clears throat> he, he prevails on the conscience of the Jew and he abandons his conviction about the food. He abandons uh, religious day laws. And then his conscience condemns him because that's what he's always known, those laws. Then his conscience condemns him for breaking God's covenant. He knew what God did to Israel for breaking his covenant. Gentile didn't know the story generally. But that Jew knows what God does to covenant breakers. Now his conscience is beginning to ache and it's pounding him. His conscience condemns him. Now he's wrong because he hasn't understood the new covenant yet as he should. He is weak in the faith. He even believes that God has now condemned him for being unfaithful. You know why? Because he feels it. It's not because he runs to the gospel. It's just that, that conscience that he's always had now. It is rumbling. It is condemning. It's judge and jury. You're guilty. With a condemning conscience... He may lose his assurance. Very often when people want to come to you and say, you know, I don't have assurance because there's some sin dogging their lives. Not the case with everybody, but very often that's, that's the way it is. I know I'm sinning. I, I want some assurance. You know what they're saying? Uh, give me a verse that makes me just feel better. Uh, now, you want to believe what Christ has done to save you once and for all. But they're not clear on this. Their condemning conscience may cause him to lose his assurance. With a guilty conscience and the loss of assurance, he may stop praying. He may stop reading the scriptures. Now, some of you know you've had that experience. You have sinned in a particular way. You've said, I'm never going to do this again. You do it the next day. And then you look at God and say, I, I, I'm not comfortable coming and reading the Bible right now. I, I, I don't even feel like I can pray. I'll try, I'll try to get that worked up. No, we run to the cross as soon as possible. <clears throat> but he may stop praying and he may stop reading scripture. With a wounded conscience, he then becomes hardened. Hardened. And with a hardened conscience, he may black, backslide into greater sins. With a stony conscience, he may be disciplined by his congregation. He may be delivered to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. 
that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. That's what was going on in Corinth. Turn him over to Satan. That's not loving. It's God's love. Now let me ask you, with this scenario, wouldn't that mean destroying a fellow believer? The strong brother has thrown a stumbling block before that Jewish believer, and he has plummeted. His fall was a long one. It happens. Something happens in a church that discourages us. We see something, someone who we, we respected, and they fall from a very high perch. And for young people, this is a real killer. Do we understand? And, and I, when I say these things, I'm not questioning anybody's intelligence. I am questioning your experience and your discernment. Do you not understand that when Satan attacks a congregation, his primary target is the children? Do you not see this? Discourage those children. Turn them away from the faith. No, because very often, all we're wrapped up in is my side of the argument. This person told me that, and so that's what I believe, and so I'm telling you this is what you need to be thinking, and this is what you need to be doing. What? You're on the other side? You want to be on our side? Satan, listen, that makes Satan's day. He loves it because Christ has said, love one another as I have loved you. No, sir, we're choosing upsides, and you better be with us. Nobody's crass enough to say it that way, but that's very often exactly what we're doing. Paul's verb destroy here <coughs> is in the present tense. In other words, it's something that this Gentile stronger brother continues to do. It isn't something he does once. He goes on eating his meat. And goes on and eating more meat. And then he likes to eat his meat because he can. It's my liberty. Paul said, now you've got weaker brothers that you have a very great responsibility for. And here, you want to be like Christ? Deny yourself for his well-being. Till he gets a better view. And don't stand around him all the time going, hurry, get to my view. <clears throat> it's present tense. <clears throat> and why? Because the stronger brother just continues, listen, in his careless and loveless liberty. His careless and his loveless liberty. <clears throat> now listen to Paul's powerful, spirit-breathed words. He says, if thy brother is grieved. And then he says, you are not walking in love. And then he says, destroy not him. And then in verse 20, he says, destroy not the work of God. Do you ever pause on those words? 
Oh, well, I mean, if it's God's work, I can't mess with it, right? Oh, well, then Paul didn't know what he was talking about. Yes, he did. We are responsible for what we say and what we do. And even as regenerate people, we can put stumbling blocks before others that cause them to fall flat on their faces. Listen, every believer is a work of God. Every believer, every regenerate soul is the work of God. Every congregation is the work of God. And when you destroy his congregation, you destroy the work of God. Why do you think you're constantly warned in Scripture? Hey, once saved, always saved. Doesn't really matter how you live. If I can't be saved by your work, so I mean, just go ahead and grace it up until heaven. You don't find that anywhere in the scriptures. Now, I want <laughs> to ruin God's work, whether it be an individual or his church, is a serious and a dreadful sin. Do you hear the word? S-I-N, sin. Not a boo-boo. It's not, oh, I made a mistake. It's a mistake. But it's sin, rebellion against the living God, breaking of his laws. That's what got all of us in our sinful condition to begin with. Now, let me give an illustration of this. Been saying for weeks, we're going to get to illustrations. <clears throat> we'll start today, and <clears throat> we'll get as far as we can get, and then we will try to continue next week, if the Lord gives us next week. So let's illustrate what we have just said in light of the positive things we should do to avoid causing a stumbling block, and the things that Paul says here about not destroying the work of God, not destroying Christ's people, their testimonies, their walk with the Lord. I'm, and very often I'm going to use myself as uh, the illustration or how not to do things. Sometimes it will come from someone else's experience. <clears throat> Sometimes it will simply be a biblical example. But I start today with, with me as the imaginary problem here. <laughs> For some of you, I realize that might be a reality. But now, <clears throat> imagine... imagine Imagine that I'm simply a member of the congregation. The name of the congregation is Christ's Church. I like that name. Imagine that I am well-read in theology. 
not a pastor, not necessarily looking to be a pastor at the time. I just love God's word. I love to read it. I love good theology. Maybe I'll serve the Lord someday in a capacity. But I'm well read. And imagine that I hold a controversial view about something. That happens, doesn't it? Imagine that I hold a controversial view about something. I know that some of Christ's church agree with me. But I also know that some disagree with me. Nevertheless, like the strong believers in Rome, I pursue the desires associated with my view. I pursue the desires associated with my view. Even though I'm fully aware that some will disagree with me. <clears throat> so, I feel justified of my view because in the history of Christ's people, some have held my view. So, I pursue it in the presence of those who I know disagree with me. The elders of my congregation warned me that I could divide Christ's church, that I could destroy the peace of Christ's church, but I can defend my view. Others have held my view, I am therefore justified in my view. And I pursue the desires associated with my view until I have what I want. Some of Christ's church are confused by my pursuit. Some are angry. Some are wounded. Some are discouraged. Some are brokenhearted. And some are okay with it. Now, let's consider the illustration. Here are vital questions that all of us must answer. Am I walking in love? Am I walking in love as Christ commanded me to? Am I obeying Christ's command to love as he loved? Is that what I'm doing by my action? Don't answer.
Am I doing to my brothers and sisters what I would want done to myself? Am I taking seriously Christ's warning about causing any of his children to sin? Is that what I'm doing? Is that what my actions are saying? <clears throat> Am I respecting the conscience of the believers of Christ's church? Am I denying myself for the well-being of the believers at Christ's church? We're asking all the questions that we need to be thinking about. Am I loving those that are weak in the faith? Am I loving those who disagree with me? Am I loving the souls of the lost that might be confused by my actions? Who might walk away from the church saying, I can't believe Jeff did that. Listen to Paul again. If thy brother be grieved with thy meat. Listen, these are holy inspired words. <laughs> if, if, if your food, if thy brother is grieved with thy food. That's all it is. Just food. He's pursuing the desires his desires associated with his view. Are you with me? I can eat this. I'm going to eat this. Is that loving like Christ loves? <clears throat> now, listen to Paul again. Chapter 15, verses 1 through 3. We then, that are strong, ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. That means help them along, not do things that would cause them to sin. In other words, not putting a stumbling block before the church of Jesus Christ. We then, that are strong, ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not, N-O-T, not please ourselves. I didn't say this. I didn't make this up. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. Is that what the pursuit of my desires has produced? All of us have to answer this because we're going to revisit it 
in the day of judgment. Remember, 1 Corinthians 8, verse 12, Paul says, But when ye sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ, the one who died on Calvary's cross, to save his people from their sins, not so that they can stumble others into it. So, have I sinned against Christ by putting a stumbling block before Christ's church? If Christ has died for fellow believers, if we will all give account in the day of judgment, shall we stumble another believer by our liberty? Shall we stumble other believers in the pursuit of the desires of our view? Love, Christ-like love, must prevail. Have I manifested that in the pursuit of the desires of my view? Well, that leads us to the next major point. In what ways can we stumble others? I will repeat this next week because this is where we're going to stop. In what ways can we stumble others? And the answer is this. We can stumble believers and even the lost. We can stumble others in a limitless variety of ways. We're only going to look at a few, but we'll look at them because churches divide all the time, not for primary issues, not for secondary issues, but for conscience controversies. And very often what's going on is one group after the other is putting stumbling block down before their brethren. That will especially come to the surface when we talk about how we can do this in a congregation with our lips, with our tongues. So let me say, how you treat another believer is recorded in heaven. Things that we've forgotten will be reminded of. In that great day, I thank God for the blood of Jesus Christ. I thank the Lord that wheresoever and howsoever we have failed, there is repentance, there is the gospel, there is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in 
that beautiful gospel should be the peace and the unity of Christ's blood-bought people. Christ's church should be a joyful place of unity, which means that all of us must learn how not to put a stumbling block before another. Amen. Father, we thank Thee that Thou hast saved wretches such as we. We are weak and feeble creatures. And, O oh God, how I know in so many ways I have failed Thy people, failed my wife, failed my family. As we come together next week to think about how fathers and mothers and husbands and wives and children can set stumbling blocks before each other. Lord, may we have a clear grasp on the gospel. May we have a clear grasp on him who saved us. And now, O oh God, I ask thy rich blessings upon this blood-bought congregation. Encourage their hearts, strengthen their souls, bring them to careful thought of what we have been considering now for many weeks. And I pray that we will have a greater love for thee, that we will have a greater knowledge of thy love for us, and that we will have a much greater love for thy people. Help us to bring thee glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand with me?